Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director for APPA. Our guest on this episode is Kyle Rodman, General Manager of Oregon Public Power Utility Emerald People's Utility District. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Paul. Sure thing. So, Kyle, uh, as I was preparing for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me is the fact that you know, you've had a, a pretty long career at the, at the utility. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of tell tell our listeners about the career path that you've taken at Emerald PUD, uh, which started in 2010 as a power resources manager. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me here again. Um, sure. Really a, a, a pleasure to come on here with you. So I began my, my original career was in corporate finance. I worked uh, up at a larger technology company in Portland for several years and then uh, yeah, my, my wife and I wanted to move back to the Eugene area. It's where we met and where we have grandparents around. So it was a better situation for us. And the job market here is not quite what it is up up in the bigger metro area. So I had to broaden my horizons a little bit and uh, came across the power resources uh, job here at uh, Emerald PUD and uh, got in there to, to help with uh, kind of managing power supply and wholesale market operations using some of my finance background and experience. And after that, over the next decade, I branched out to manage more functions here, energy efficiency, a lot of our IT initiatives, and then uh, public relations and communications was another area that I took on. And so after you know doing that for quite a while, in 2021, the board selected me to be our first internal GM, which was uh, a real honor and, and vow of confidence. So it's been it's been a, a good journey here, and it's a fantastic place to work, and I'm, I'm real happy to have made my career in public power. Kind of want to dive into some recent news involving um, the PUD, specifically the recent news involving uh, the ice storm that hit Oregon in January. So I had two questions related to that. So I'll give you the opportunity to respond to the first question, then I'll, uh, then I'll circle back to the second question. So my first question is, can you detail how Emerald PUD crews work to rapidly restore power to customers um, in the wake of that ice storm? Sure. Yeah. And maybe just to, to really start it off to give you a sense of the magnitude of just how big a deal this was for us. I have kind of been telling our staff here, this this was really the test of our times. You know, when we look back on our careers here, uh, you know, at EPUD and in the utility industry, I think this is the story that we're going to be telling our grandkids about. It's It's kind of that big of an event. So this was orders of magnitude larger than anything we've seen before. And just looking at the numbers is kind of staggering. You know, we had more than 80% of our district's geographic area impacted by the storm damage. We lost transmission service to every substation. Uh, we have about a dozen. Uh, every substation except for one was out of power at some point, And a lot of them were out for about four days. We reached a new minimum load. You know, we talk about peak load, but in this case, we we hit a minimum load of just two megawatts. You know, nearly our entire system was dark at one point. Um, we had just two feeder lines out of one substation. Our our typical system peak is well over 100 megawatts during that time of the year. The broken poles, we had 300 broken poles. That was three times anything we've ever seen before. And, you know, we're looking at cost estimates of over $10 million at this point, which is a big ask for a utility like ours. So to deal with all that carnage, um, you know, we, we had our crews, of course, deployed fully, but we knew early on this was going to require outside help. So we ended up um, calling in 25 extra mutual aid crews. That was equivalent to about 135 plus line workers out in our county working on our behalf. Just, you know, kind of larger numbers than you can really comprehend when, when you're a utility like us that has 20 linemen on staff normally. And there's there's some interesting numbers that go with that. You know, 300 plus hotel rooms, <laughs> we had to book 2,500 meals served. We ended up 
you know, building our system, rebuilding our system in just about 11 days from the, the second wave of ice that we saw, which was just one day longer than our previous high water mark. Um, and that's quite an accomplishment when, uh, you, you kind of see the, the extent of the damage out there. And then the last thing I'll say on the, on the storm itself is we ended up with zero major safety incidents. So, um, really a testament to our team to, to be able to get that done. You know, in terms of how we worked rapidly, we implemented a new kind of command structure here. It was sort of a modified version of the incident command system. Uh, we pulled employees up to different jobs to be able to manage this uh, extensive set of line crews that we had working for us. Um, we had, you know, somebody that was just directly in charge of everything, materials, and we got all of our employees involved doing different jobs, whether it was in the warehouse, you know, supporting a uh, customer service team. Our utility kind of prides itself on being very flexible. And so we we had people working in different positions than they were used to and, and really thriving in those jobs. So it was really kind of a pleasure to see uh, all that come together. I covered the the, um, the ice storm and, and restoration efforts for our newsletter, Public Power Current. One of the things that struck me at the time and that I want to talk to you further about is the fact that you provided regular updates to customers through videos posted on Emerald PUD's website as well as the PUD's YouTube channel. And I can't, I, I'm sure other Public Power utilities may do similar things, but that's the first time I recall where um, somebody in your position has has utilized that as an option. So I wanted to know if you could talk about how this is an effective way of uh, communicating with customers during power restoration work. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that was like a grand master plan that we had ready to go when when this thing first started. But I, I think what we did what we did see early on was this was going to be a very big deal, and that right. customers were going to be out of power for quite a while. And so, kind of the normal mode of operating when it comes to communications was not going to suffice. Uh, we were, we were, I think, in danger of losing customers, losing faith with customers if we didn't get out there and start to tell a story about what was going on. And so video was something that we've done before, you know, um, we've, we've used it in other uh, storm events, but also just for general information. We knew it can be fairly effective, but I think what really happened in this circumstance with the storm is it put a face to to the event it wasn't you know for customers just uh, an organization that was giving them updates it was it was myself as kind of a first line but then eventually it was the staff out there restoring power and to see that in process i think really did buy us a lot of goodwill you know the public can see these are actual individuals these are in fact your friends and neighbors that may be out of power themselves and they're working extremely long hours sleeping in the office in some cases and so by telling that story, I just, I think what it did is bought us time to be able to get this restoration uh, well underway and, and hopefully complete by the time customers um, really start to get frustrated with, with how long it's taking. You know, the, the other big piece of that was we could show the extent of the damage out there on our system. You know, we had some customers that were trapped in their house for days, and so they couldn't really understand why we were projecting these these long restorations times. It's like, well, yeah, the, the ice is here, but it's going to melt. And so you, why are you telling me a week or more? But when we got out there and started to show, well, this actually <laughs> looks more like a hurricane came through much of our system. You know, we have broken poles, you know, everywhere. We have entire pole lines just completely destroyed. And it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to actually show it on camera. And so I think that combination with, you know, our actual crews and, and staff in the field, putting lines back up, showing that there's progress. I just, I think that bought us a lot of time and a lot of goodwill to be able to do what was necessary. One quick follow-up question. So 
you know, you, you've, you've underscored the point that this was a, this was a really, really significant event in the history of, of Vermont PUD. So, and hopefully you won't have to face something such as that ice storm again, but I mean, if, and when such an event were to occur again, what, any kind of key takeaways or lessons learned to implement the next time around, if that were to happen? Yeah. I mean, we always try to learn from these. We're doing a, a hot wash process right now to get all the feedback from our staff and our board and eventually from customers also about how things went. You know, we, we absolutely were not perfect. Um, I think we did a lot right to shorten the restoration time. I think had we, had we had some of this command structure sort of off the shelf that might've helped in the beginning, although this was, this was a really tricky event because it hit us the first time on a weekend and then we started restoration for several days and then a second wave came through and basically wiped out all the progress we'd made uh, over the first three or four days. So I don't know, you know, like you said, hopefully that that doesn't happen again. But I think in the future, if we had some of this ready to go, like here's the role that everybody will play when such an event happens, um, I think that'll help at least keep things a little more organized in the very beginning of this thing. I think we got there, but it you know, took us a little bit to get the the structure in place. And, you know, communication, I think we've learned a lot about um, how our customers want to be, um, you know, talked to in these events, what kind of information they want. They were very, you know, vocal about wanting uh, estimated times of restoration for their area. And I think in normal circumstances, um, that's not something that we have provided, but our staff really did move move mountains to be able to provide uh, street level ETRs, estimated times of restoration for our customers. And we have a process now on how that can work. And I'm not saying we commit to that for every single uh, outage that happens, but for these major events, um, I think we do have a good sense of what customers are looking for. Okay, great. Thanks. Going a little further back in time in terms of uh, recent developments at the utility in December, uh, as you know, you highlighted the fact that um, two main areas of focus for Emerald PUD and in, in 2024 reliability improvements and um, new customer services. So I want to give you the chance to provide additional details on what types of activities uh, we'll be talk- we're talking about in terms of what the PUD is going to be working on this year in, in both of those areas. Sure. Yeah. I guess the first thing I'll say is that the storm will certainly influence both of these and not only the amount that we invest, but the the speed and you know how, how quickly we roll some of these things out. But we are currently in uh, year three of a major system upgrade push where we've been investing significant capital into improving our system, whether that's undergrounding, reconductoring, rerouting lines, all of the above, basically to try to build a more our stable and robust and resilient system. I think the ice storm has um, called into question a little bit how how much we want to do overhead in certain areas. And so I, I do think we'll have a shift maybe to um, look at undergrounding some more of our primary lines and main lines where we saw some issues during the storm. You know, having having something like this happen when you're in the midst of a big capital push does does cause you to question a little bit where that money is going. And so I think we will we'll adapt to that. We certainly can't underground everything, which is something you always hear during these storms is, you know, why don't utilities just put everything underground? Mm-hmm. There are good reasons for that and cost being one of them, but um, you know, also it just doesn't make sense everywhere, but we are going to, you know, relook at our capital program moving forward here and try to figure out where can we get the best bang for our buck. But our board has been great about committing real significant capital dollars to making sure our system is resilient. And um, at some point, I think when you have these major events where you have, you know, a hundred foot trees falling down, that there's not an overhead system in the world that can stand up to that. So we have to be somewhat realistic, but I do think there's a lot we can do uh, to try to build resiliency. And, um, you know, that's something our customers will be looking for after this big event. 
The other, the other category you mentioned was uh, customer services. So one of our strategic initiatives in our 2020 strategic plan is uh, what's known as customer facing programs. And the big idea here is to try to translate the major technology investments we've made over the last several years, one of which is AMI, advanced metering, and to try to put that uh, in front of customers, give them some uh, more direct benefit from those investments. So uh, we've already done quite a bit giving customers uh, a portal they can go to and look at their hourly energy usage, um, report outages, things of that nature. We hope to add to that this year. We're looking to roll out a new outage map. Um, we also hope to have a tool that will allow customers to estimate the cost of a new service or service modifications if they want to do a line extension or something. And eventually we want to have an online tool that makes starting and stopping service uh, a little bit easier also. So again, just under the theme of trying to get some of these technology investments out in front of customers so they can benefit directly from it. I mean, with respect to undergrounding, um, I think you made you made a great point in terms of the the challenge all utilities are facing. Of there's obviously reliability benefits for, for that, but there's also costs that are involved. So, I mean, I would imagine with with the in terms of the timing of the ice storm, if and when customers say, "Well, why are you doing this undergrounding?" or "What's your strategy related to that?" You could presumably point to what happened with the ice storm as as kind of your you know re- reconfiguring strategy going forward. Yeah, a- absolutely. It provides a, you know, something that's fresh in everyone's minds to at least begin that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I, we were already doing a lot of strategic undergrounding previously, but I think, you know, this does open up some different areas that we weren't previously considering. You know, the, the question is always, well, what are customers willing to fund? You know, it's one thing to say that we want to underground everything. It's another thing to, to say that we want to, you know, triple or quadruple our rates to, to pay for it. So we're going to have to have that dialogue. And I, I do think, you know, in talking with our staff, there are there are several strategies that include undergrounding, but but don't rely on it exclusively. Uh, we've done a lot of reconductoring, you know, new poles, higher strength wire, and a lot of that stuff held up pretty good during the ice storm. You wouldn't you wouldn't think, you know, having trees come down. But if, if it's the difference between just putting a, a span of wire back up or replacing 12 poles that broke, the reconductor will help get you more of, of the, the former so that you're, you're having to come through and do a pretty quick repair job as opposed to a complete rebuild. So I, I don't think overhead is, you know, I, I don't think the days are past where that's going to be a major portion of our of our system. But I do think there are some areas, you know, we had a we had one part in the south of our system that was just absolutely devastated. Every feeder line was on the ground. All the poles were down. And I, I think there's a case there that, you know, given how many trees are outside of our right of way, maybe we do want to look at undergrounding some of the the, the main lines out there. So uh, we're going to go through that process over the next several months and eventually come back to the customers and the board and say, like, here's our here's our look at how we optimize uh, all of these investments and here's what it might cost and try to have that, you know, out. Uh, in, in public discussion. And you know, I think video can be part of that too. I mean, customers really seem to appreciate when we were out there talking openly and honestly, and if we can share those trade-offs with them, um, I think they'll respond pretty well to it. So my last question is kind of long-winded, but I, I, I made the decision to kind of provide more detail than normal because I want, want to make sure I'm providing a, a uh, an informative table setter. And, and in general, the topic is is workforce. And um, one of the things that jumped out at me in terms of preparing for the interview is the scholarships that the PUD offers. Um, you know, last summer, um, you guys awarded $15,000 in scholarships to five local students through its annual Empowering Scholarships program. And through that program, recipients receive funds to assist with the cost of training that could lead to utility careers in the future. Along with that 
program. You also offer a program that makes job shadows and ride-alongs available in various PUD departments. So how do these two programs help the utility recruit and train a local wor- workforce that may be interested in working in the utility sector and for Emerald PUD specifically? Yeah, this is a great question. And and we've had tremendous luck with both of these programs. You know, one of the thing I one of the things I think that makes public power great is um, our local workforce. And we have people working for us that are part of this community, care about this community, and and they tend to be the ones that want to be here for for a long time. So by offering the scholarships and the ride-along program, we, we also do an internship program where uh, students can come work for us during the summertime. It really does put those those feelers out there to say, well, who might be interested? And it gives us a chance to make that connection. So we have you know some known quantities out there that may not quite be ready to come into the workforce, but maybe with a, a couple years of experience could be good candidates to come back. So there, there's, uh, I think, real benefit to being able to make those connections. We have you know, several employees that were former interns mm-hmm. and are now, you know, longtime journeyman linemen or, or work up in the office. And, um, you know, they're some of our, our, you know, best performers. And again, uh, we don't have a lot of turnover here at the PUD. And I like to think part of that is because we do try to find the folks that, that really want to be local. And if, if a scholarship or an internship is enough incentive to, you know, convince them that, hey, there, there might be something to look at here at, at EPUD, uh, that's a great thing. It's also a really nice branding exercise. So, you know, we we go out there and promote this all over our social media and in other venues. And, um, you know, everybody can say, huh, well, EPUD or Emerald PD is uh, a local employer. And maybe that's somebody I should consider uh, in my own career if uh, if I ever, you know, have to go out there and look for, for something. So, um, it's a very small investment, I think, for a lot of great return and, and goodwill with the public out there. You mentioned there's not a lot of turnover at the PUD, which is obviously something that, that is very beneficial for the utility today. But how much do you worry about kind of the long term, you know, worker training, worker retention, you know, those issues? How much how much does that worry you? Yeah, it worries me to to a degree. I think in certain functions and positions, you know, are are. Uh, information technology group, you know, there tends to be more of a culture in that uh, in in that sector about you know we're we're not going to be staying places a real long time, and so that's a little bit in conflict with some of our you know goals for the utility. But it's also a way of life, and we need to I think design the organization to to deal with some of that. You know, we see some similar things in other parts of the the organization also. I think we've got to be realistic about um, what we offer and, and what we're about. And there are certain skill sets that, that we need that, that, you know, they may not be 30-year employees. And so we need to figure out a way that we can recruit and, you know, create an environment where people, you know, may want to stay, but it may not be the best thing for their career long-term either. So I worry about it to a degree. I think, again, it, it, the more we can focus on our, our local base, you know, our, our best recruiting is always referral based. And um, I think there's there's still a good pool out there of folks that we know about that we could go to. Uh, it's a very active job market here. We have seven utilities in the local area, which is, uh, I don't know if that's a record, but it's pretty far or it's, it's pretty high up there. So we're always in competition, which I think keeps us on our toes. Also, we have to make sure our wages and benefits and, and overall culture are really where we want them to be, to be able to bring in and, and keep everybody that's here. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. As with other general managers and CEOs, I, I'm, I want to offer you an open invitation to perhaps return at some point next year where we could revisit these and, and other topics that are going on at the PUD. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Thanks a lot, Paul, and thanks for everything that APPA is doing. Sure thing. Thanks again, Kyle. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now, which is produced by Julio Guerrero, graphic and digital designer at APPA. I'm Paul Schimpola, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power. <laughs>